I want you to turn in your Bibles, the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. I think, uh, I trust most of you are uh, scholars or at least theologians in Scripture to know what we've turned to. If not, I'll be talking about it in just a minute. Last Sunday, I made mention of the fact in my message I talked about what has your attention and I got so many texts from it afterwards last Sunday from a lot of folk, and I had one somebody send me a, um, a video of a pastor who preached something similar to that uh, on the Internet or, or Facebook, whatever it was, and uh, they sent it to me, and he was talking about what, ha- I, he didn't preach on what has your attention, but I thought it was really funny. He, uh, he was talking about our thoughts and what they're on, and he's, he's talking about how uh, media has so invaded our thoughts, and he said something along this line. He said, God hadn't made you for all this knowledge, not all of it. It's so overwhelming, we can't take it all in. And he said, let me show you a miracle. And he took his iPhone up, and he said, if you have one of these, push this button right over here on the side and slide that, and you get relief. <laughs> and he, he's talking about turning that iPhone off. I almost brought my iPhone to do that, but you get the idea, don't you? And maybe know we need a reprieve from it sometime. I want to talk to us very personally this morning. This is the last Sunday in January, and it seems like the Spirit of the Lord directed me uh, the last these four weeks about our inner self and and just starting, if you will, not only a new year but also uh, just starting fresh with the Lord and having a a a, a relationship that we can uh, allow the Lord to grow in us all year long. I want to talk to you this morning about an important thing that our world knows very little about. It's about really the joy of the Lord. But I want to talk to it in a different way about how God intends for it to umpire our lives, but we have little of it. Last Sunday I mentioned in my message about, I spoke about millions are struggling to cope with this life. So many pressures, so many demands, so much being impounded with just with information and overload and all that. Our schedules are demanding. I understand all that. But I want you to know the, the Christian is not exempt. We, we're, we're involved in the same war, and I mentioned that last week. The truth is that Satan will target us as believers to try to discourage us, to do anything he can to get our thoughts and our values off to where we literally become at times disobedient to the Lord. And I know that would bring an amen, but it's still true. It is true. I, I saw something that I thought was funny. Uh, a, a, one of my friends sent it to me uh, this last week on, on, on a text, and it had a picture of a coffee cup, and I thought it was funny. And I thought about how we're battling the world today, and the, 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 the fun thing on the cup, it said like this. It said, I'm fighting like the third monkey trying to get on the ark. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way sometimes? <laughs> Scrambling to do everything I possibly can. I don't know what kind of picture that puts in your mind, but in mine it was just funny. And I thank God for humor. But I want to tell you, we are targets. We're targets of the enemy. And, and, uh, but we who are twice born, we who have been declared righteous in the high court of heaven, we all inwardly know the fact that the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of God covers us. 
And there should be a place for all of us before our Father, however, in repentance and humility to maintain a right relationship with God. Why? Here's why. Because God not only wants what I might call mechanicalized obedience or even mechanized service out of us. God wants a love relationship at all times with us. I remember as a little boy, four, five, six, all the way through my years, I remember that there are times, I know this is hard for you to believe, but there are times I disobeyed my mom and dad. And thank you for no amens. I, I, I would do wrong and disobey, but let me tell you, when, when I disobeyed mom and dad, let me, let me go at the other, the things not seen, I became miserable, just miserable. The fear of my dad and mom, especially my dad, and even the dread of having disappointed my parents, and of course the ultimate giving answer to why and all the ramifications of being disobedient. And I will declare to you, yes, there were many times when I got numerous times, more than I'd like for you to know, when I received just reward because my dad and mom believed in applying the, the let's see, uh, the belt of uh, payback to the seat of understanding. How's that? I don't know. I've heard people say it otherwise. There were times when my dad and mom would take a belt to, to me and uh, teach me some things. And no, I wasn't abused, and no, I wasn't beaten, and no, they didn't need to go to prison. They loved somebody enough to say, here's the line, step out of it, and we're going to spank your bottom. And they kept their word. That sounds like a foreign language, doesn't it? But I learned at early age something about all that. Once, once I had, had reaped the harvest and once I had received the punishment and once I had, in a sense, what I'm going to call cried it out, the one thing that immediately came into me was this. With nobody saying a word, I just had this urgency and this need. I want to be back in good standing with mom and dad. I, I wanted to know. Mom, Dad, is everything okay now? I want to know that there's peace and joy in the house. And maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Psalm 51 is written by David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He is, it's his penitent prayer, having failed God, having failed his family, having failed himself, having failed the kingship having failed the nation, having failed his relationship with God. But in it, in this psalm, David too desires more than forgiveness. David wants right relationship with his heavenly father because sin always brings a separation from us and God. And David talks about it. I want you to read it with me. Psalm 51, look at verse 1. And I want, to, want you to pay attention as we read. I'm going to re only read about 12 verses. I want you to pay attention to what I call weighty words. Words that have heavy meaning. And we're going to talk about some of those today. So listen to the words. Have mercy upon me, O God. 
according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is talking about Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He's saying, God, cleanse this heart inside. Sin always begins in the heart. And then he talks about how sin gets on us, and we, we understand that it gets on us. We, we know it's there. We, 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 our friends know it's there. Things are wrong. And he said, and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me on the outside. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I've missed the mark. I've made a bad choice. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done wrong in your sight. That you, listen to these words, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, born into sin, David is saying, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. This is a, a, a pointing back to the Passover when God told the instructions of each household to, to sacrifice a lamb and take the pure blood and with the plant hyssop apply it to the doorpost of their life so that the death angel would pass by and the firstborn would not be taken in that home. And David is in reference, purge me with nothing less than the blood that covered with hyssop. And he said, and it'll make me clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most severe experiences that we have when we've sinned is the absence of the presence of our God. And David, you can hear him in the deep part of his life as he's broken. Do not cast me away from your presence. And listen to this. Listen to this. The truth is, this next part of the verse, you've already read it in front of me. Let me tell you, I love this verse. It says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knows the greatest deprivation that a human soul and spirit can ever know is that the Spirit of God withdraws from that person. I love it when I read years ago a great author made this comment. He said, we must learn that the beginning of life is not at birth. That birth only brings forth the issue of a life that has become complete. And while there's 23 chromosomes from mom and that many from dad and 46 come together and begin one cell, let me tell you, we need to learn in America again to stop running the sewers of our city with the blood of our unborn children. And this state and, and some other states, it's New York may vote what they vote, but I want to tell you they will not change what God thinks is important about life. Just because man changes his mind, it doesn't change things in heaven. And I want to tell you, America has sown to the wind, and let me tell you, we will reap the whirlwind. 
I don't mean to be a negative prophet, but I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be sober with the eternal God of our creating. And I know that these kind of things aren't popular in 2019. I understand that. But I want you to know that God, life has some responsibilities. Say amen. Life has responsibilities. Don't take your spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Father, just walk with us in the next few minutes. I pray the Spirit of God give us clarity of thought. And may, Lord, this word go to what David knew needed you the most, his inward part, our inmost being. Be glorified in it, Lord, for I pray it in the high name of Christ. Amen. The good news is Psalm 51 is all about a way back to God. Psalm 51 is a way for an unbeliever to find God in genuineness. Psalm 51 is a way for the fallen believer to renew a relationship, not only just in, in standing of forgiveness or non-forgiveness, but also in relationship. Each of us should read this chapter this prayer, I believe, time and again, and make it our own prayer of repentance often. Why, Pastor? Because our walk with God, ladies and gentlemen, is sustained in full confidence of our soul and spirit when we know we are right with our Creator. And another purpose we should read it often is our inmost being to know joy and peace. Because I want to declare to you in 2019, though our world knows very little about it, there is genuine joy and peace available and it comes to earth from God in heaven. How many of you are glad there's joy and peace? So point one is this. This psalm becomes a way of revival. And the way of revival, ladies and gentlemen, is brokenness. I don't know if I've ever seen a society as today that is so adamant and, and so, so arrogant and so defensive that we never ever look inward and realize that we could possibly be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, let me be plain this morning. True brokenness of heart is always the true sign of genuine devotion. There can be a lot of lip service and no heart change, but brokenness is devotion. And I want to declare to you, I do not believe that you can truly know revival in your own soul and in your spirit outside the pathway to brokenness. That is the pathway. The Christian on his or her way to a relationship and power with God must go by the way of verse 17. We didn't read it. Here's the way to know joy and peace. It's brokenness. Listen to the verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Boy, David says so much in this prayer. David is saying, this is a prayer that arrives at the ear of God. He is saying, this is a prayer that cannot and will not be ignored by God. This is a prayer, a prayer of brokenness, a broken spirit, a contrite heart. It will not be passed over by God. This will bring a response from God, a broken and contrite heart. 
God will not despise. If I were to ask you to turn, we won't. We'll put it on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. For years and years and years has been quoted by multiple thousands and millions. It is quoted as a time for a prayer in the text for a national revival. And I want to read it to you because I trust you're familiar with it. And I want to talk about it just a minute. This, we know it as a prayer of revival. God said this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And while I think America should pray that prayer, I just want to be sure that we get our theology straight about that verse of Scripture. This is actually God confirming a covenant with Israel. He has made a covenant with Israel, but they have disobeyed. I want to be clear. You cannot expect and will not receive the blessing of God if you do not stay in covenant with God. Today we think we can take and we can pick and choose and like the Old Testament, Micah, take a penknife and cut this part out of God's word and say, well, God, I don't really believe that. I don't want that. And I can take that out and I can put that out. I want to tell you, this is the whole counsel of God. And reason it like you want to. Justify it like you want to. God is not obligated to bless you and will not bless you if you do not stay in covenant through obedience. And listen, listen to these words. We will, oh Lord, give us national revival. Give us national revival. Let's look at it the way God saw it. I want you to notice, God actually in confirming this covenant with Israel says this. My people have turned to sinful ways. And he went on to say, my people have turned to wicked ways. This was God saying about his own people, I declare you are sinful and you are wicked. I want to tell you, that disturbs me. That shivers me timbers as years ago. That does something inside of me. God declaring his people wicked. I think if... We were going to say and describe it. We'd say, well, Lord, we, we'd admit we're sinful. Well, Lord, I admit I didn't obey and I, I didn't pay my tithes and I, I didn't do this and I didn't help the church and I didn't do that. I just came when it was convenient or, Lord, I just did all these sort of things. That's sinful but not wicked. God declared it wicked. And he gave us the direction by which to cure it. He said, in this prayer that he gave us, he said, Search my heart, O God, and try my heart. Here's some of those weighty words I want us to know today. That word search means my sinful. Look at my heart. See if there is sin there. 
and it says, and try my heart. It means put my heart on trial. See if there's wickedness in it beyond sinful, but wicked. See if there's a wicked way in me. Ladies and gentlemen, we who are twice born and claim Christianity, we who are believers, I think we need again to be before our God in brokenness. May we know genuine revival through brokenness. Let us say, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me, save me from them. And in 2 Chronicles, here was God's answer. He said, if you will humble yourselves, pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then the promise comes, I will hear from heaven. He will forgive us and he will heal the land. Can I tell you that that promise and every one of its promises is all about condition. It is on condition, as is all promises in the Word of God. If you, Israel, will do this, then I will do this. And we went from the Abrahamic and the Davidic and the Palestinian, all the covenants, and thank God we're in the new covenant, but I declare to you it still requires obedience to God. So this brokenness becomes a psalm of confession. Listen to David. Watch him because this is our picture. David is in a place in this psalm where he no longer covers or hides his sin. Ladies and gentlemen, there is, an, there is an atmosphere today where everybody wears a veneer and everybody's right and wrong in things and everybody covers themselves so that nobody ever sees anything we don't want them to see. We're living behind thicker veneers today than I've ever seen in my life. David no longer covered his sin. David no longer made light of his sin. Well, God, this is just a little white lie. God, I didn't quite finish doing this or Lord and that, but you understand I'm only human. He did not make light of his sin. He did not justify sin. Well, Lord, what would you do in this place? After all, I'm only human, and God, I did this and that. David, all the pretense, all the justifications gone, and all the excuses were gone. And David openly desires and describes it to God. I want to notice that David didn't call on the priest of his day. He didn't call on the prophet. He didn't call on the pastor. He didn't call on the elder. David called to the only one God who could forgive him for his sin. I want you to look at these scriptures. I'm going to read them in a different order, but I want it to say something to us as I do. I want to read verse 3 again. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. God, I'm tired of it. I'm through with it. Your prophet has put his finger in my face and said, You are the man that is guilty. 
I don't know how you see that, but I see David on the throne and Nathan the prophet took his life in his own hands and he told the story. One man had a, had a lot of sheep and one man had one. And the man that had a lot of sheep wanted to put a dinner on for some guests. Instead of killing one of his minis, he went and stole the one from the one who had nothing. And the prophet asked David the king, tell us, king, what would you do? And David said, I declare by the word of the Lord, the, the man that did that will face death. And he said, you're that man. You have many wives and Uriah had one and you took her. That made me know that was a sobering moment. And then you hear him, for I acknowledge my trend. I see David. When Nathan put his finger in David's face, the king, he could have made a motion and had Nathan's head cut off. This is my sight. I see David sliding off of that beautiful chair and seat off of that throne. I see him get on the very bottom step, and I see him lay in the floor, and I see him say, I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Look at verse 2. So he says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let's go back down to 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this wrong in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Listen to verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I want to show you some things here that is quite phenomenal. I want you to go to this verse, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this wrong in your sight. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a sermon here that I don't want us to ever forget. I look at this and I say, David, what are you talking about? You've only sinned against God. What about sinning against Bathsheba, what about sinning against her husband and their marriage? What about sinning against your life? What about sinning against your family? What about sinning against the kingship and the entire nation and about God himself? And when you get over to the New Testament and, and, and the prodigal son finds himself in, in, in the pig pen eating the leftovers of the pig, he says this, I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And you find a major principle that is so important for us to understand in this late hour society. Sin is always vertical before it's horizontal. What do you mean, pastor? David and the prodigal understand that long before David went and, and committed Bathsheba adultery with her, long before he by proxy murdered her husband, long before he sinned against his family, long before all that happened, he had let his heart grow cold with God vertically. And then all the horizontal things came. That's why we ought to fear a cold heart like we would a heart attack. The prodigal is saying, I realize, God, that I sinned against you and I must also go and talk to my father. And then that verse, verse 1, 
he understands it. And he says, have mercy upon me, O God. Let me point something to you and I'll move quickly. David is saying to God in verse 1, I must appeal to the only attribute of God. The only attribute of God by which he has any standing at all. He cannot say, God, remember you anointed me three times to be king before ever came to the throne, though that's true. He can't say, God, you know what? I was righteous and faithful on the backside of the land. My dad, I'm his sixth son. You've appointed me king. I went went across the valley of Elah and fought Goliath, and I destroyed him and all that. None of that matters when there's sin between you and God. And so the only attribute by which he could approach God, he said, and he started the psalm with it right up front before anything else. He said, have mercy upon me. And then he said, oh God, let me declare to you that some things only God can do. Some things only God can do. And he cries in his open prayer, good news is this, if we are sincere and we are smitten with the weightiness and the blackness and the pain and the darkness of our sin, God will hear us. It is a psalm of confession. He will forgive us. He will blot out our transgressions. I hear him in another psalm where he says, God, forgive me for my secret sins. And I want you to know I've studied that verse of Scripture Many, many times. I find a twofold meaning in that scripture. First of all, he said, forgive me for my secret sin. He's talking about forgive me for sins that I've committed and I know they're in my heart. Nobody else knows them. They are sins that are secret in my soul and my spirit. But there's another application to that. And he is saying, forgive me, Lord, for my secret sins, sins that I have committed that I may not be aware of, but a brother and sister or some unbeliever may have watched my life and because I was a disappointment, I may have caused them to stumble and I may not know it. God, please forgive me for secret sins. Help me, God, to live a good example. So it's a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of forgiveness. The psalmist declares this, I can have a clean heart and a renewed spirit. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I want to point your attention to the word create. David understands this is the omnipotent, eternal God. And David knows how the fact that sin separates him totally from his God. And when he said, create in me a new heart, O God, a clean heart, he is simply saying this, Lord, nothing of absolute omnipotent power to create can change this wicked heart. Take the power of your creation, God, and change me inside. And when David gets that new heart, and when he receives that forgiveness, listen what he says. Make me to hear joy and gladness. 
that the bones you have broken may rejoice. That innermost being, it's from the marrow, God, from the innermost part of me out, may I know joy. And he goes up to verse 12, we looked at it, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And that brings us to the psalm of the fact that it becomes a psalm of joy. Look at the word in verse 12, restore unto me salvation. Because all of us know, ladies and gentlemen, when we have fallen in our relationship with God, we know that great emptiness. We long for deep fellowship and communion with God. David, I just pointed out, said that my bones may rejoice. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, Satan will harass. The world will pressure. The memory will plague. The demand will distress. But I declare to you in the midst of all that, God will restore joy. To the unbeliever, if you're here or you're on Facebook listening and live broadcast. If you have never known God as your personal Savior, I didn't say know about God. A lot of people know about God. If you've never known Him as your personal Savior, I declare to you, you may have experienced some pleasures in life. And you may have had some ex experience fun. You may have had a lot of those, but I will tell you this, unless you know God and you really know God in your inmost being, you have never experienced genuine joy. You may be religious, but that doesn't bring joy. You, you may try to obey in the outward sense and, and be like the Pharisee that tried to keep the law, dot the I, cross the T, but I will tell you this, there's no joy. But through the brokenness of forgiveness and repentance, God will restore and put something in you that only He can provide. And let me say to the believer, if the enemy's come and caused us to fail, no one has to describe to you that emptiness, that loneliness, that distance between you and God. And you feel, you surely know unforgiveness will rob you of joy. David used the word, I, I, want, I want to show you something. If we had been asked to write verse 8, it, it says this, make me to hear joy and gladness. I think we would have probably written it more like this. Make me to feel joy and gladness. We might have written it, make me to have the experience of joy and gladness. But hear me, David used the word hear. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness. The word here is the Hebrew word shama. And it means this. David said, make me hear. It means to hear intelligently. It means to hear in the mind. It means to maintain a noise. It means to allow me to constantly perceive. 
Can I try to put that in a summary for us today? Let me tell you, when he said, let make me to hear, make me to hear God, joy and gladness, David is something of this ilk praying. Keep, Lord, the noise, the sound, and the experience of joy. Let joy be my constant companion. (coughs) Excuse me. Young people, mom and dad, when God occupies the throne of your heart, his voice of joy will accompany your every heartbeat. God wants to speak to you. And I know there's a place for the prophet, and I understand all that, but God doesn't want to speak through someone nearly as badly as he wants to speak directly to you. And when the word of God is in you, it will settle your soul. When you hear the word of God in your inmost being and in his presence and in his spirit, Let me tell you, all the other voices will be drowned out and you and God can commune. And it brings the last point to this. This psalm becomes a psalm of steadfastness. I want to look at verse 12 again. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. Look at another weighty word. And uphold me. Uphold me. I followed my mom and dad's pattern with my children. And I laid down rules, don't cross this or cross this or something's going to happen. And when they said, well, what's going to happen? I'll say, cross it and you'll find out. I don't believe you ought to tell. I don't think America ought to tell our enemies what we're going to do. But I took a rabbit trail. I remember, I don't know where he is, my son. I guess I need to apologize him for so many times making examples. But I remember when he's about three or four years old, I don't know. He had done something wrong. I thought it's time to teach him. And I uh, I took a fly swatter and I reached over and popped his backside three or four times. Told you not to do that, don't do that again. I think the noise was far more than any pain he experienced. But it got him. And I'll never forget, boy, this parent, if you hadn't had this happen, I popped him three or four times and he turned. (laughs) And he walked to me with his hands out and he said, Daddy, hold me, Daddy, hold me, Daddy. Hold me, Daddy. The Hebrew word is samak. It means to prop up. It means to take hold of. It means to establish. It means to bear up. And David said, God... Hold me in an established place. Keep me. The word keep means garrison. Build a hedge about me. Give me some iron, Lord, in my spirit. Make my life a testimony of steadfastness. 
I want you to listen to the last words of the last two verses. I don't have it on the screen. Just listen. David finally said to the Lord, Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. That's in him. You do good in me, God. Build a wall of Jerusalem. That means build my soul and my spirit. Then verse 19, Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous. David is saying, you'll be pleased with my manner of living. With burnt offering and whole offerings. Living, ladies and gentlemen, in a steadfastness. He says, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. God, my testimony will glorify my Redeemer. Generation 2019. Our God never intended for his children to live in constant struggle he has called us to be victors. And he has given us the wherewithal to live that way. Paul wrote in the New Testament to a church in Corinth. And these people had obeyed the Lord. They had, they had given to the missionary endeavor of Paul. And they had so generously supported him. He talked about their offering and their giving. And he commended them. But I want you to listen to what the Spirit had Paul write those people who had been obedient to the Lord. Listen to what he says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart obedience to God not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver but when we're obedient and when we live our lives the way the Lord wants us to listen to this promise and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always being with all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Ladies and gentlemen, God expects us to live victoriously and we're to live in the authority and the joy and the fullness of God and not under constant defeat of the enemy. Can you say praise the Lord? I want to say with the psalmist, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation.